I'm restricted to time. <laughs> and I'm restricted to the microphone. But I trust that the Spirit of God will just give us freedom this morning as we share together. Amen? Amen. Alright, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We are there this morning in chapter 5. Now, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Don't go looking in the New Testament, okay? It's in the Old Testament, the first part of your Bible. And uh, we're on chapter 5 this morning. <clears throat> chapter 5 today. First of all, I want to say to all those who are with us for the first time, we've been through at least four messages on Nehemiah. And so I'm going to quickly recap for you in a few seconds before reading the main verses here today. What do you learn from these Old Testament books? Well, you learn, number one, that God is a personal God and He's the God of Israel. Amen? Amen. And therefore He chooses someone like Nehemiah to get him into action to be able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Why are the walls of Jerusalem broken down? Because God's people 70 years before disobeyed Him. And so He disciplined them by bringing the Persian Empire and the Chaldeans and the Babylonians to conquer them. And He took them all into captivity. Where were they? They were in Susa, the palace, the Persian palace. That's where they were. Nehemiah is serving under the great king Artaxerxes. Seventy years later, my understanding of Scripture is, he was never born in Jerusalem. He'd never been there. He's a Jew. His family were under discipline. He's under the discipline of God. Let me say something to you this morning. When you're under the discipline of God, you need to take notice. Amen? Say, God, what is happening and why is it happening? Secondly was this. When you look at him... He hears or he asks a question about Jerusalem. How is everybody there? It's our homeland. How's everybody there? And the news he gets breaks his heart. The walls are broken. The people are broken. Quickly. Nehemiah weeps. He is given a God concern. And you see, I love Nehemiah because he doesn't just say, Oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Hope God that you do something for them. Uh, he doesn't, he takes it personally. Why? He's a Jew. He's part of the chosen race. He's part of that discipline. He's part of the family of this great God. Next, you will notice he prays and he fasts. What do you do when tough news comes to your life? What do you do when circumstances hit you that you can't control? Well, he fasted and prayed. It's a tremendous way of handling life. Because he gets in touch with God. And he waits on God. He waits patiently in faith to see what God will do. Because can he rebuild the walls? He's a prisoner. He's a captain. He works for King Artaxerxes. He tastes wine every day. He's a governor and a ruler with King Artaxerxes under him. He carries out his wishes. But he comes into the presence of the king. And the king says to him, why are you so sad? This is not a sorrow. This is a sadness of heart. Your face tells me the story. And Nehemiah question, oh well, why shouldn't I be? The, my hometown, Jerusalem, the walls are broken. My people are suffering. They're, the great people of my nation where they bury, these graves are desecrated. And the king says to him, well, what, when do you want to leave? <laughs> now you see God in action. Behind that statement is the whole of the Persian authority. When do you want to go? You can go because I say so. That's God working through an ungodly king. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. It's working it out to his own purpose. In your life and mine is exactly the same. The same God. Through your boss, through the circumstance, through the situation in life, through those people who are over you. He is working anyway for his glory. Amen. And you notice Nehemiah. He came prepared. He asked for, for letters. He got himself organized. He knew he wanted to go down and do what? Rebuild the wall. We pictured that in the time that we've been together. The lesson is this. There are broken pieces in your life. Torn down. Through circumstance. Through the discipline of God. Through your own neglect. The walls are broken. The, the marriage is broken. Your life is broken. Your home is broken. Things are happening in your life. And you're not listening. You're not looking at the broken wall. It needs to be restored. Well, of course, he gets there. He's a great governor. I want you to notice that he's a godly man. He says this, the hand of my God 
is upon me. Can you say that? What's he saying? It's evident wherever I put my foot, whatever I'm doing here, whatever I'm touching, God is busy working. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what we should be able to identify this morning. Well, it's not too long they get this wall going and you get St. Ballad and Tobiah, these enemies from the outside, the king of, uh, of Samaria and the commander of Samaria's army. They come against Nehemiah and the people, discourage them. We spoke a little bit about discouragement and disappointment. How that's a lesson in our life that you've got to be very, very careful of. The devil will come in and try through people and circumstance to discourage you from doing what? From repairing your life. It's easier to continue in sin and neglect than to take your life and get on with it God's way. The last thing you notice here with me as we come to chapter 5, the next lesson that we learn is that while building the wall, yeah, the people are discouraged now, so they build a little slower. There's, there's, a, there's a, a go slow. The threats are there, so they've got to weapon themselves up and they've got to be ready and watch and pray, and that's an important part because the enemy could attack them. And I'm telling you this morning, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth and he attacks believers. And you and I need to open our minds to the things that I can see the weakness or the thing that Satan is attacking my family or attacking me personally. Outwardly it comes through people. But what about the inward attack? Can Satan get there, the inward attack in your life? The outward attack, if you listen to it, he'll tear you down. The inward attack, he'll destroy you completely. It's that inward attack that we want to look at this morning. The walls are halfway up. The people within the city are all beginning to complain about the fairness and unfairness of how they are dealing with one another. Now that happens in a congregation, happens in a community, happens in a family. And uh, Nehemiah begins to take notice. While building the wall, there's this great disunity among the people. And chapter 5 says, and there was, uh, you put these lights on for me, thank you. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. In other words, this wasn't amongst uh, the Gentiles. This wasn't against the king of Babylon. This was against one another. Have you got something against one another? Have you as a family got things against one another? Uh, it's my, my hobby lately. Looking at the division in families. What separates Families, they, don't, they were once close and they 20 years haven't spoken to each other. There's a division among family. Why? There's an inward conflict. And I lovingly say to you that for the, Nehemiah says here, for there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let, give us grain that we may eat and live. Now you must understand here, the captives that came back with Zerubbabel and Ezra to re rebuild the temple, 150,000 came back. They displaced. They don't have land. They don't own everything anymore. They start from scratch. It's these people, as Nehemiah helps them to build the wall, to put protection. It's these people who come back and say, we've got no land. We don't have things. You better feed us. Third verse. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our land and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money from the king's tax on our hands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children and their children. And indeed we are, focused, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. In other words, what they're saying is, we're going into debt to pay our taxes. If we don't have money, we take our daughters and our sons and we, we put them into the, into the nobles' work camp and they work for him as slaves. To pay our debts. Well, verse 7 says, verse 6, And I became very angry when I heard the outcry of these words. That's Nehemiah. After a serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury, or you're exploiting people out of your own selfishness from his own brother. So I called a great assembly against them and I said to them, according to our ability, we have, we have redeemed Jewish brethren and who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brothers 
or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Verse 9 is our verse this morning. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our own enemies? What is he saying to them? What's happening amongst us is not good. And we're going to look at that and say to ourselves this morning, why isn't it good? Surely business is business. Wheeling and dealing, the survival of the fittest. It's those who can make it, make it. Those who don't make it, they scratch around for it. It's very much like it is today in COVID, isn't it? There are, there are the haves and the have-nots. I unfortunately, or fortunately, I say, my opportunity is to work with the have-nots. And to see, one man came running to me the other day and he said, Wow, at the beginning of COVID, look, they, they doubled our money. <clears throat> the next month he came here with a long face. I said, what's wrong? He says, they took all my money. <laughs> That's the government. God bless the government. Is that what's going on amongst us? Be careful of the money that's put into your account. And you're spending it wildly. Government money. You're going to pay interest on that money. And you're going to pay it back. Be careful. So I'm lovingly saying to you, what is the motive here? The motive of the nobles was we're going to remain rich. We're going to make money in spite of a drastic situation. We're going to keep on top of these things. And their next door neighbor, their own family. These were the people involved. And listen to it. You see, it's selfishness. You say, Pastor, you can't talk like that. Well, I want to say it this morning openly. It's selfishness. Do you know that the, the little word evil, the central letter of the word evil is I. I, myself, and me. Heard that one before? Yes, you have. You all know it so well. It's I, myself, and me. Nobody else. And that's exactly what selfishness is. I do believe this morning uh, in it is the seat of absolute evil. So you have the ability within you to commit the grossest of evil because you are so selfish. What does selfishness say? Why were they selfish? Because of the love of money. Now money is a good thing. But when you start loving money more than you love your neighbor, and you love money more than you love your family, and you love money, 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 they know that some churches have a song, money, 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 come to me. <laughs> Even the church has fallen into the trap that money is the order of the day. No, God is the order of the day. And brothers and sisters, don't get your eyes off God, otherwise you're going to become, put your eyes on yourself and you'll fulfill this selfish desire only to supply yourself with money. Satisfy your own needs. There are other people in the world that need your love and attention and care. And so here this morning, there are three examples as we look at this passage. And as we read it this morning, what are these examples? Firstly, that Nehemiah... Before he could let off steam, he had to listen to, 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 to the situation. And uh, keeping in mind that the work was going on slowly, but now he stopped the work. And sometimes these things, this selfish thing in our lives, uh, has to be dealt with. And you've got to stop what you're doing and take notice of it. Okay. And how does he do that? By watching and praying. He tells the people to watch and pray. But now he tells them to come together for a debate. And he says to them... The great outcry amongst you is this. That there are people here who have nothing. And nobody is doing anything about it. So you get people who came back from captivity and moved into their little house that used to be. But they've got nothing. What are we going to do about that? Nothing. There are other people as you look at them. These people cried to Nehemiah, don't you want to give us food, please? We don't have anything. It's my privilege in this community over the past seven months to give food to the poor. To supply our own families with food. And you've been blessed, some of you, with the food that comes. Yes. I got a lovely testimony this morning from a brother who said, it, uh, 
when I go and buy groceries, my kids like it. But when that package arrives on the doorstep from the church, they're actually excited. They're more excited about the package than the groceries from the store. I want to say this to you. That's exactly what it is. Why is it so? Because it's given in love. It's given with compassion. It's given as a point of meeting your need. And that's what God is talking about here. Then secondly, so there were those who didn't have. Then there were the landowners, the guys who had land. And what were they doing during this time? They were mortgaging their own land. The king's taxes would come up and they'd have to mortgage the land. They didn't have food, so they'd say to the nobles, well, you pay us for this piece of land or my whole land. Give me so much so that I can survive. It'll be you taking uh, your house and mortgaging it so that you can live, just live. When the money runs out, they own your house. They own your piece of land. The third outcry was this. People who borrowed money to pay taxes. They maybe didn't have land, but they borrowed money to pay taxes. And King Artaxerxes would tax these provinces over and over again, not to help them grow and build, but to take from them and build his own empire. And lovingly, let me say to you this morning, that outcry is this, as I said to you, that they, when they couldn't pay it back, they'd look into the face of their teenage daughters and sons and say, I'm going to sell you to the owners and you're going to work for them for three, four, five years to pay our debt back. That's slavery. You know that not even a prisoner in prison is allowed to do anything without 10 cents or 30 cents a day. If he did, it would be slavery. But these kids had to go back and work their parents' debt off. And this thing was becoming bitter in the family life of their own people. Now, if the Gentiles did that to them, or the Samaritans did that to them, I can understand that. But these were their own people who were doing that. And when we put it all together, it's not a good thing to borrow money, by the way. Why? Because you've got to pay the money plus the interest, right? Be careful of this thing. Uh, and it's necessary sometimes, as long as we can meet the need. But they couldn't meet that payment. And brothers and sisters, this morning, when you go into such things, remember to ask God. He can, He's the supplier of all things before you make such decisions. Amen? All right. I want to say this then. The people and the Lord of Jerusalem belonged to God. The people and the land belonged to God. How do you see South Africa? It's my house. Who does South Africa belong to? The ANC government. It's the way they think. It all belongs to the Lord. It's God's. And what you do with it is very, very important. The way you, 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 you use it is important. And you see, God never wanted either to be used for personal gain. Now that's not to say that you don't thrive and you don't make a prophet and you live correctly. But you notice what these nobles were doing. They were adding the interest. If they couldn't pay back on their own land, they were taking the land. They were taking their children. What a terrible plight to be in. <coughs> their own people. Would you do this to your own family? Would you lend money to your own family and still charge interest? You sound like a loan shark then, don't you? But you see, we do this because that's the world's idea of how we should live together. And they were in the same position. But the Jews had a law called the Year of Jubilee. And every seven years, every slave that you had would be returned to his own home, no matter how much he still owed you. Every debt was cancelled. All was forgiven. The land was restored to them. That was the Jewish law from God every seven years. But they were not practicing that. The wealthy exploited the poor. I don't say the poor didn't take a chance either. That they put their little 25% onto whatever they had and tried to charge somebody for it. Yeah, that's human nature, isn't it? We want to make a buck on somebody. But we don't realize what it will do to somebody. And my prayer this morning 
is that we will look at the principle and say, what is the principle behind it? It's greed. We don't care for our brother. We just care, well, you know, I'm lending him the money. He should be able to pay me something for it. That's the way we see it. We want to make on others who are disadvantaged. Yeah, I've mentioned to you COVID-19. And uh, how the government will put you into debt for many years. Leave that money, pay it back. Don't use it. I want to remind you today that God has a special concern for this, for poor people, for those who struggle who are His people. He has a special concern for you. He holds you guilty if you take advantage of the poor. I repeat, He holds you guilty if you take advantage from the poor. Now, what's the word uh, for Nehemiah here? He says, examine your motives as he talks to the nobles, he talks to the people, as he hears these complaints. What is your motive when it comes to money? You can test yourself this morning. If I put two pieces of cake on a plate and showed them to you this morning, and one was a little bigger than the other, your false humility will say, oh, pastor, I'll take the small piece. But your true heart will say, gee, I want the big piece. Isn't that right? Yes, now some of you are real, amen? Others of you are just hiding behind the bench now. But let me remind you this morning that you need to examine your motive because you see the result was the people were fighting each other as a result of this usury, I want to call it, this exploitation. And you say, Pastor, do people take advantage of the church? I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to say, yes, they do. Okay, they do take advantage of the church. They do take advantage of the services we have. Hey, but what do we say? Go on, take advantage. See if you can outdo us. Amen? No, you can't outdo us because we've got God on our side. And brothers and sisters, when we feed these folk and God supplies and we're able to supply to the community, let me tell you something. It comes out of a heart of joy even though the guy says, is that all, Pastor? Is that all? That's all for today, okay? Let's try tomorrow. Hallelujah. We don't take offense at that. But I lovingly say to you, we need to know the hearts of the poor too. They'll always want, because they'll always be in want. It's, it's sad. But let's move on and, and, and notice this. Nehemiah had come to a position in his life where he couldn't take this. And when he heard all this, his first reaction, or maybe call it a response, was that he was angry. You know, when I see people exploiting the poor and exploiting others, especially during this time, we should be sympathetic to one another. We should be lenient. We should uh, show a little grace and favor to people. But Nehemiah was angry because the nobles were getting rich out of this bondage, drastic situation. It was hopeless. Why? Yeah, he'd come to restore the wall for nothing. Yeah, he came to put 100% in. And what were they doing on the sideline? They were making money. Now they were Jews. I can understand that. They had to make money. Have you been anywhere with Jewish people? They're always making money. But let me remind you that Nehemiah is angry and he has to point out to them the sin of covetousness. I need to have what you've got even though you don't have as much as I've got. I want what you've got. I want that piece of land. I want that money. I want to make something out of you. Is that spirit in you? Or are you free from that? Because you see, covetousness will destroy your life. The result was a public rebuke. Nehemiah rebukes the public. And he calls for repentance. Now, I can only talk to God's children this morning. Be careful of usury or exploitation. Be careful that you don't overcharge in your business. Be careful that you're honest with the people that you deal with. When you work for 25 bucks, you put 26 rands worth in. Amen? Yes. So then there comes Nehemiah's anger. And what is his anger? Firstly, you need to know the word for his anger here. He is not... Uh, uh, defensively or shall I say here defensively angry what he's doing is this 
his anger as you see it is, 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 is a righteous anger. He's angry with what the people are doing because that's not the way God taught them. And so we call that a righteous anger. Remember Jesus when he came into the temple? He turned the money changers over and he shooed out the, the, the animals. They were misusing the temple of God. The house of prayer had become a house of sale. And Jesus is angry, but not sinful. Now, when you're sinfully angry, what do you do? You're angry with people instead of angry at what they are doing. Amen? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5, be angry and sin not. How do I sin not when I'm angry? I don't take it out on the people with venom. In my anger, what do I do? I want to right the wrong. And that's important. Does that mean to say you, you get a little bit flushed around the gills? And you, yes, that's okay. You can see a person gets angry. But they don't miss you. They don't direct that anger with hurt and insult against even those who've done wrong. But Nehemiah has got a righteous indignation. He says, God is not pleased with your greed. He's not pleased with your usury, your exploitation. Brothers and sisters, it's the same. God is not pleased if you're not honest. God is not pleased if you hold back on God when He's told you to give to others and you don't give. God is not pleased. Most of us sitting here this morning are poor people. And you say, oh, I'm too poor to give. Don't make that an excuse. You're robbing yourself of the privilege of doing what God wanted you to do. Amen. So let's, let's remind ourselves of that. The second thing I want us to notice in this great appeal is that there is a way that Nehemiah appealed to the people. Yes, he was angry, but in, in divine righteousness, he put the word of God in front of them and said, listen, you're doing this against God because these are God's people. And folks, please, love one another. That's the first thing he says here. He appealed to the love that they should have for one another. What does he call them here? Your brothers. Your fellow Jews. You're not strangers. You're not in captivity anymore. You're free to love each other and to do for each other. Why do you misuse the opportunity and take from each other in greed? And so, this little exploitation as it comes to light, they were brothers. The Bible says, look how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together. I've noticed in my ministry that which divides most families okay, is what you say about somebody else in the family or money. Oh, the love of money. We've got people in our family too. They love money more than they love me and I don't like that. <laughs> they love money more than they love me and they love money more than anybody, any other thing in the world. It's just money. Money makes the world go down. Of course, it's the love of money. That is badly distributed. And, um, but why are we treating the family this way? Because they're selfish. Let me remind you of the little principle we spoke about earlier. Because of selfishness. I want what I want. Oh, my brother and sister. Examine your heart today. And ask yourself whether you are selfish or unselfish. Whether you're selfish unselfish and the little word we'll close with today is am I a sacrificial person can I give instead of wanting to make or to receive and of course he appeals to them if you love somebody you won't do them in amen you won't overcharge them I remember a young man coming once here he once asked the church to lend him some money I said okay we will help you and so he said, what do you mean by that? How much will I owe you? I said, the debt is yours, but there's the 400 rand. Every week he came and said he couldn't pay, he couldn't pay. After the fourth week, I said to him, 
did we ever ask you to pay? Uh, no, he said, I never heard those words. He said, I thought I had to pay back. I said, I think you should pay it back out of your own. He started to dance on the pavement. He said, it means I don't owe you. I said, no, you don't owe me. Oh, he said, can I make another loan? <laughs> I said, whoa, stop the bus here. He can also take advantage of my situation. But I want to say this to you. We really love that that young brother. And he was our brother. He's our brother in the Lord. And we're not going to let him take advantage of us or us take advantage of him. Anyway, how in all the world could he get on his feet if we asked him to pay it back? Okay, Ask no man for anything, the Bible teaches us. And so do you love one another? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, sacrificially. And then you won't fall into this sin of selfishness. Secondly was this. He appealed to the Lord, Deuteronomy 23, 19 to 20. There was nothing wrong in loaning money from somebody as a Jew and as God's people. But you were not allowed to charge them interest. That would keep you free from being crooked and exploiting them, taking them for what they don't have. And beloved, when I look at this, I, I realize that the Word of God does not play a prominent part in our dealings and our wheelings with other people. In our own families, we don't apply the principle from the Word of God. We apply the business principle from the world. Make as much as you can. Even take your shoes and your socks off. That's quite okay. Isn't that right? How many of you are destitute? Because your company doesn't need you anymore. They couldn't afford to pay you during COVID. Not that they couldn't afford to pay you. They were watching their own pockets. I testify here today. The nine staff people that we pay, plus the facilitators we've got here. There was no, no money in the bank when they announced COVID. And I sort of looked at myself and said, God, what do we do here? And the Lord said, you love these people. I said, Lord, you brought them in. They come from prisons. They come from the streets. They work here, they've been they've rehabilitated, they've worked together. We are together. Will you provide? And God began to open doors. That's seven months ago. They all get their salary. They all get their, their little stipend. It's all still working. Hallelujah. Amen. That's God in action. I can tell you one more thing without lying to you this morning, and that's this. It's paid for right to the end of the year. That's God in action. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about this outside ministry world help as we look at it. That's the way it is. God is supplying. Do you think He'll ever let you down? Oh, my brother and sister, we must come to this point that our love is our motivation. Next, I want you to notice today that the law must be obeyed. It's God's Word. Don't go against God's Word. Don't lend your family money with high interest. Don't go to the loan shops. Are you with me? Because we as God's people don't do that. Why? Because we live to honor Him. People notice what we do and how we do it. Thirdly, I want us to notice here. In chapter 5 and verse 8. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold among the nations. Now what is he saying here? He appealed to their redemption purpose. Who was Israel? God's redeemed people. That means he bought them with a special price. Remember when he brought them out of Egypt. The price was the life of a little lamb. Every family took the life of a little lamb and sacrificed it. That night at 12 o'clock. And the angel of death came over and protection was theirs. But they moved out under that. They were a redeemed people. You and I are a redeemed people when we look at this present story of Nehemiah. They've been taken into captivity. But God, according to His promise after 70 years, brought them back, brought them back in three, three loads. He brought them back. Because there were those who didn't want to come back. But He brought them back according to His promise. God keeps His word. Why? Because He's a redeeming God. Nehemiah is reminding them, you are a redeemed people. You and I are redeemed people too. When Christ died on the cross, 
He shed His blood as the price of redemption. He paid in full for your life and mine. Amen. We have a redeemed purpose. My sins are forgiven. Christ is my Savior. If He's not your Savior, bow your head this morning and ask His redeeming blood to cleanse you from your sin, to set you free from bondage to sin, that you may live free to the glory and the praise of God. You are a redeemed people. What does the world look at and say? Those are just worldly, worldly Christians who do business the world's way. Or do we do business and run our lives the redeemed, the redeemed way? We are a different kind of people. And you see, the book of Ephesians says it, says it quite clearly. When you are a Christian, you belong to the new race. Christianity is not a conversion of a thousand cultures. Christianity is a unique culture. A culture that loves God and loves others. A culture that doesn't exploit people. A culture that does what? Obeys God's word. Hallelujah. A culture that rejoices in what God has made common amongst us. We are redeemed. When you redeem something out of the pawn shop, it is a little bit more precious than it used to be before you paid for it, isn't it? You sort of kiss your TV and say, lovely to have you back, isn't it? Yes, why? Because you had to pay again for it. You redeemed it. You are a redeemed people. You're precious to God. The price He paid. Oh, my brother and sister. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. I want the world to see, says God, that you fulfill your redeemed purpose. What is your redeemed purpose? To bring glory and praise to God. Amen? Yes. Uh, when you're redeemed, you're released from slavery. And you see, I want to say to the church this morning, <clears throat> don't sit here in bondage. You're redeemed. The price is paid. It reminds me of the story of the man who saved all his life to go on one of these big ocean liners. And he saved the money, he paid the fare, got a good cabin, everything was great. Bought himself some new clothes, got on the boat. They took a big bottle of water and a whole bag of biscuits. And every day he would eat his biscuits and drink his water. And one day he got a message in his cabin. The captain wishes to have you in the dining room. And he sent back a message, I can't afford it. The captain sent back a message and said, my good man, it's all in the ticket. The price is in the ticket. He was drinking biscuits and water. The food was all paid for. The trip was all paid for. All he had to do was enjoy it. Amen? I want to say to you, the price is paid. Your redemption is paid. Why don't you enjoy it? And let people see you don't have to exploit other people. You don't have to live a selfish, self-centered life that brings no result in the life of this community or the life of other people. The last thing I want us to see here this morning is that Nehemiah appealed to the fear of the people. He said, oh, well, I, I, I don't want to fear anything. Well, listen to this. Then I said, what are you doing? What, what you're doing is not good. He was talking to the nobles. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations? Now, the nations would ridicule them. The nations would tear them down and say, if your God's alive, why are you in such a mess? And that's often true. But listen. He says, we walk in the fear of the Lord. Many of us don't understand that. That fear is not the fear that a slave has for a master. This fear is, is the fear that a child has for his parents. He has a loving respect, or he should have, a loving respect for his parents. Isn't that right? I know that even if I've done wrong... My parents' arms are open to love me, help me, forgive me. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, my brother and sister, how can you turn away the life that God prepared for us? The redeemed people, the people who this morning has, must live in the fear of the Lord. That means the reverence and worship 
of God every day. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is a living, worshipping temple that gives praise and glory to God every day in everything that you do in your lifestyle. Amen. Come then with me and notice that the selfishness of money had robbed them of that privilege. The love of that money had robbed them of that privilege. And beloved, I want to move in and say they were not free. If you ask me what freedom is today, what is it? It's a life governed by truth. You're not free because you can go out there and do as you like. But your life is governed by truth. That's real freedom. The Bible says, stand firm in the freedom wherewith Christ made you free. How are you free in Christ? Only to do what God wants you to do. Not what you want to do. You do what you want to do, that's selfishness. What will that bring? Destruction. What will that bring? Anarchy in the world. So I want to lovingly teach you this morning that the Jewish uh, nobles were motivated by money, which was bringing destruction to the people, division, bitterness, unhappiness. They were going into bondage again, a different kind of spiritual bondage, an inward conflict that caused them to hate each other and not to get on with the work that God called them to do. There's one more this morning, quickly. Verse 9 continues to tell us that these people in their redemption and in their fear and reverence of God, their worship of God. You see, the temple had been rebuilt. They were worshiping God again. And oh, don't you forsake the, the assembling of yourself together. Come and worship even though it's covert. Come and give glory to God for all the strength that He's given you. Amen? Amen. That's the least you can do. Walking in reverence and fear for Almighty God. But they were one last thing this morning. They were a witness. God was concerned what the world was thinking of Him because of them. Now, I want to ask you this question this morning. What does God think of you? Or what do people think of you? Let's put it this way. What what do people think of the God we serve? You know, Christianity, you have to bow your head nowadays if you're a pastor. Because they say, are you part of those pastors who were caught in that scam? Today, I'll say, no, I'm not a pastor, I'm just a missionary. I, I, I want to get away from the pastor idea. Because others have made it difficult for us, haven't they? And brothers and sisters, it's a shame to be that. Is that the way the church is going to continue? That we're ashamed of being the church? Because our witness has been tarnished by our greed. Now, I'm not ashamed to say this is wrong. That the general run of the church, generally speaking, this prosperity church, it's all about money is rubbish. It's all about God. And not about the wealth we accumulate. Do we need money? Of course we do. But we don't need to love money more than we love people. We don't need to love money more than we love God. And we need to show that. And the world needs to see. I was in a bank the other day. And they said, oh, you're from the church. You guys are well off, aren't you? His perception is the church is there just to make money. We're not. We're there to distribute the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us, to love and to care for those who are perishing and dying without Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So come with me this morning and ask yourself the question, am I still a witness? If you're a witness, then you're a light. You know a lighthouse? I've been to the coast many times. And the place where the two oceans meet there in in Cape Town, it's a big lighthouse. But that lighthouse has no fog wall. Why? Because the sailors out there and the ships will never hear the fog wall. But the lighthouse beams light. And you know, that's influence. That's effectiveness. When you're a witness, you influence effectively others by showing them the light. Amen. When they use that light to see where they're going, they see their sin. They see their lives without God. They turn and come to God and accept God and begin to live for God through the light, not through the foghorn. Amen? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, glorify God who is in heaven. Yes, are you a lighthouse this morning? I appeal to you there. The Bible continues to teach us here as we close. We finish this morning. Because time runs out on us here. 
Nehemiah had set his own example. Can you go home with me and let's each one set, set this example? You see, he came to that city. He could have taken money from the treasury. He could have fed his own soldiers. He could have paid himself a salary. And you notice what he did? He didn't do that. He could have. By law, he should have. But he put all the money back. Back into the people to build the wall, to build the, the nation up. To make sure that they were going somewhere because they were God's people. It matters that they were God's people because he was also God's child. Brothers and sisters, Nehemiah was an example. He asked for restoration. I'm going to ask you for restoration this morning. Restore. Restore to others what you've taken from them. Restore your love. Restore your help. Restore that which you've done against them. Restore it. Don't exploit them in any way for the sake of the kingdom of God. Don't just say it, says verse 13. Do it. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man and his house. What does Nehemiah mean? There were folds in his garment. And in those folds was dust or bits of sand. And he said, you've all promised to do this. Yes, we won't charge anymore. We'll return the slaves. We'll do everything great. Wonderful. What a day of rejoicing. People said, amen. And then he took the folds of his garment and he opened them and he flicked them out. And this is what he was saying. If you say you'll do it and you don't do it, may God take your life like my garment and shake it out till there's nothing left of it. So be careful what you say. Selfishness. The opposite of it is sacrifice. Sacrificialness. I'm prepared to sacrifice. Think about your life, how much you've taken and how little you've given. There was a lady in this church years and years ago that took her a long time to fall pregnant. When she did, the doctor said, I have to remove it on Monday. You will die in the process. She sat here. She wept. She said, what do I do, Pastor? I said, I can't make a decision for you. But all I know is this. God put life into you. Would he not preserve it? By the time we got to the bottom, she put her arm around me and she said, I can't be selfish. If I die in birth, then this child can live. That is sacrificial unselfishness. And you know, she had the baby. I remember going to her Queen Victoria Hospital. And she had the baby and she said, It's alive, so am I. <laughs> to God's glory. Oh, but her unselfishness. Did she make a good mother? Wow. You bet she made a good mother. Why? She was prepared to give her life for that little child. Beloved, I think back of Abraham. He's this man that God blesses and he's got all the land before him. He takes his nephew with. There comes a quarrel in the camp one day about where to eat and what not to eat with their cattle. And he takes his nephew on the top of the hill and he says, Look out, where do you want all this land God has given us? Where, what peace do you want? If he had any respect, he would have turned to Abraham and said, you are, the, you are the, the patriarch. You choose first. But he was selfish and greedy a lot. He turned his eyes to the well-watered plains of Jordan. And he took and he took and he took. And he left Abraham to the rocky parts of the country. When you find Lot again, he's in Sodom. Being destroyed. My brother and sister, I look at the, at the example of Abraham and I say to myself, here's a man who selflessly, sacrificially gave because God's name was at stake. Amen? Amen. I want you to consider that this morning as we consider our hearts before God. Have I been living selfishly or sacrificially before my own brothers, sisters, my own family? And the Christian family in our community. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we come to you this morning. Our hearts are strangely warmed. 
because we believe with all our hearts today that God is not easy for us to look away from ourselves. Because we know, Lord, we live just for us and no one else. Yet when you come into our lives, we live for you and for the glory of your name. I ask you to teach us the lesson to live sacrificially and to love you unconditionally. Thank you for each one this morning as we've learned together. I pray for those who need you as their Redeemer and their Lord. That they might surrender this morning and say to you, Oh Lord, I can't start this journey without you. You've saved me. You've redeemed me by your precious blood. Your salvation is there to save and set me free. Lord, I surrender my life to you. That you may live in and through me. Put your hand on those lives this morning. But draw us together in response to say to you, We will do it, Lord, your way. Save us and set us free from a nature of selfishness. And Lord, teach us to care one for another. As we bow in prayer, you may be in this congregation, you say, Oh, Pastor, I don't have a spirit. I've never surrendered my life to God. I've never asked Him to come in and save me and redeem me. I'd like to do that today. Or, I've been living a selfish life as a Christian. I need to surrender back to God and say to God, you can have my life, just as it is, with all that I've got. To you be the glory. I want to pray for you this morning. You can raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I will pray for you today and help you in the week. If somebody wants to pray for their life today of selfishness to selflessness, you raise your hand. I want to just pray for you. I can't deal with each one here, but we can pray for you. Would you raise your hand for prayer? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Go on. You give God the glory. God bless you, sister. God bless you too, sir. God bless you and you. Anybody else today? Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord. To thee, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless prayer. But take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. I surrender all to you, Father. We thank you for those who've raised their hand to receive you. Thank you, Jesus. Save them, Lord, by your grace. Redeem them by that great and precious price of your precious blood. Thank you this morning for those who come back and realize, Lord, life is not worth living if we're living it just for ourselves. I pray that you make us, Lord, generous and able to give and to love others the way that you have taught us. Live in us, dear, dear Lord. Live through us, Lord, that the world may see that we love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who want to give your life to the Lord, just come and stand.